Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 303. Today's episode is all about training your mind to sleep better. Insomniacs, tests in the lab have shown that they, they often underestimate how much sleep they've actually had or how long it's taken them to get to sleep and then feel worse the next day, which which is absolutely fascinating that our suggestions, what we tell ourselves, actually impacts our reality and changes our physiology. But now you've got so many doctors and medics increasingly working with this because they realize, you know, our perception and what, you know, the words we use when we're talking to ourselves can change what's going on in our body and our health and our behavior. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Sleep is the golden chain that ties health and our bodies together. No, I'm not quite that poetic. We can thank Thomas Decker for that verbal masterpiece, but he has a point. Arguably, it is pretty damn near impossible to be healthy if you don't have a solid sleep schedule. Poor sleep can mess with us in a bunch of ways, both physically and mentally. It weakens our immune systems, it messes with our hormones, and that can lead to weight gain or trouble managing our weight. Plus, it increases the risk of serious illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. But it doesn't just mess up our bodies, it also messes with our minds. When we're sleep deprived, it's obviously tough to concentrate and focus during the day. Productivity becomes a struggle, and learning new things feels like a marathon. And then there are the mood swings. Insomniacs actually suffer from emotional and physiological hyperarousal. So it's like living in a constant triggered state, which means that even the little things tip you over the edge because you're already teetering on it anyways. And don't even get me started on how it affects relationships, including the one with yourself. What I'm trying to convey here is that sleep just might be one of the most important aspects to living your best life. But here's the thing. 35% of adults in the United States report getting less than the recommended seven hours of sleep per night on a regular basis. And 10 to 30% of adults worldwide experience chronic insomnia. So are people just not prioritizing sleep because they don't know what's good for them? Maybe. I don't think a lot of people prioritize what's good for them at all in our current society. But I do think it goes deeper than that as well. I think people don't realize that they have the power to improve their sleep patterns. People often don't realize their power in a lot of areas. So here's the good news. 
you can improve your sleep. Whether you have just started sleeping poorly or you've had chronic insomnia since before you can remember, you have the power to transform yourself into an excellent sleeper. There is a science behind sleep, and once you understand the biology of sleep, you can make it work for you. There are tons of habits and behaviors that you can begin to create the ideal conditions for your body to actually want to fall asleep at night, all of which we will talk about today. And also, as with almost everything in life, it starts with your mindset. So today we're talking about how to teach yourself to sleep. Our guest is Kate McHale. She's a London-based sleep expert, author, keynote speaker, and journalist who's written features and reviews for a wide range of publications, including The Guardian, Observer, Telegraph, and independent newspapers. After years of not being able to sleep easily, a chance reading of a book by her great-great-uncle Richard Waters led Kate to discover that she was actually a chronic insomniac, but now an ex-chronic insomniac, thanks to researching her book, Teach Yourself to Sleep. She's going to teach us the biology and science of sleep, how to look at sleep from a different perspective, and how we can change our mindset, physiology, and behavior to transform the quality of our sleep, health, and well-being. So three key things you will learn are how your perception of sleep affects your ability to do it and how you feel after it, how to slow your brain waves down to nudge yourself to sleep, and what to do during the day and before bed to create your ideal sleep conditions. Also, if you're not yet part of the Mind Love membership, you do not want to miss this month's content. This month, our masterclass is called The Sacred Sleep. If you're an insomniac or just have trouble sleeping, this month is your time to change that. We're going to talk about the science behind sleep, your body's natural rhythms. We're going to reprogram your mind for restful nights. You'll learn everything you need to create your ideal sleep sanctuary and create a blissful nighttime routine. I've also created a custom 60-minute yoga nidra for deep sleep with a powerful frequency background. So find out more at mindlove.com membership. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Kate McHale to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I'm really excited about this episode because I've been looking for another guest that really knows the ins and outs of sleep, but you come from it at a different perspective, which I'm excited to get into. What inspired your book on sleep or really teaching yourself how to sleep? Well, I mean, I'd lived with insomnia, chronic insomnia for so many years, not even realizing that I was a chronic insomniac. It's just sort of my sleep was so awful. I just sort of struggled on 
not being able to sleep at night. And it was a real problem for me. And I sort of didn't realize I could do anything about it. I mean, I tried all the usual, you know, tips that we tend to try. And I, you know, I did try things like lavender oil and things like that. And just nothing was was dealing with the problem. But then I was reading this book written by a great, great uncle of mine, Richard Waters, and he wrote it about, well, so, you know, nearly 100 years ago, not quite, but 90 years ago. And he was a pioneer in cognitive therapy. And now I realize also clinical hypnosis. And I was just reading through his books. I was really interested in what he was doing. I was very aware of it because I'd known him as a child. And, and he studied under this sort of guru, cognitive therapy guru called Emil Kue in the 20s or sort of late sort of after the Second World War. And I came across a couple of pages at the back of the book that he had written about insomnia. And it just really made me start thinking about insomnia in a completely different way. It was about sleep in a completely different way because he just sort of, he suggested that our words and our thoughts impact our behaviour, including our sleep, which I thought was, you know, it was a new idea to me. And as I was a journalist, I sort of always worked for national newspapers in the UK. I saw my natural instinct obviously was to start researching sleep a bit more. And then I realized, well, I discovered, oh, I'm a chronic insomniac. I hadn't realized. I just thought I just was a terrible sleeper. But following his idea and then delving really deep and sort of looking at sleep from so many different sort of perspectives, but but crucially the mind-body loop and what we can do to sort of shift our physiology and our behavior and our mindset. It, I mean, he, it was him that inspired me. It was just those couple of pages that inspired me to sort of follow the link from what he was doing then to what's happening now and how that can be, you know, how that applies to sleep. And, and then I tried everything out on myself as I went along. You mentioned how you didn't realize that you were an insomniac. You thought you were just terrible at sleep. So what makes a chronic insomniac? Is there some like special parameters that it needs to fit into or is it just well, yes, you're not sleeping yes, there well? Is. Yes, officially it's just if you have trouble sleeping at least three nights a week for at least three months. So, you know, otherwise it's just acute. You know, you might have, ter- you might have terrible sleep, which might be due to short-term stress or being ill or jet lag or, you know, children or other people disturbing your sleep. And then life moves on and your sleep goes back back to, you know, it sort of calms down and gets into a better rhythm again. But with chronic insomnia, then it carries on on a regular basis for more than three months. Mine at this point had been going on, on and off for years, I mean, decades even. I mean, there were bits when it, you know, times, periods in my life when it wouldn't be so bad. Um, but then I had children and then it got really bad. So, I mean, it started in my teens, I would say, my erratic sleep pattern. And I obviously established my, my, my habit was that I would go to bed really, really tired. It could even be, you know, whatever time of night, really late at night sometimes. But then rumination would kick in. My mind would start worrying. My mind would start thinking. I couldn't switch off. I couldn't power down. I got, you know, it's that phrase, tired but wired. And it's a horrible feeling because even when you want to sleep, you just can't. You can't turn off your mind. And then this anxiety really starts taking hold if you need to be up the next morning, you know, as I invariably did. You made a point 
at the very beginning of your book that just made me chuckle that our ancestors used to sleep on the ground on like a pile of straw and they'd probably <laughs> laugh at us not being able to sleep in our luxury nests. Why do you believe that it just seems like sleep problems are increasing as we develop more things that should be helping us on all levels? Well, I mean, the thing with sleep is, you know, it's, it's you know, it's all to do with our mind. It's not just to do with our body. You know, it's and it's a subjective disorder. So it's, it's very much comes down to our perception and what's going on in our body. Big problem th- these days is that we are living with permacrisis, as the new word of 2022 last year, Collins Dictionary. Permacrisis, overstimulation, you know, our life is, it can be very go, go, go. It can be very sort of nonstop. You know, there's a very, often a very blurred line between work and play and with the sort of the gig economy and people, a lot of freelancers working. So it's not a nine to five existence so much anymore. And the problem with this extra stress we're doing, particularly the, obviously, you know, the past three years, but you know, the environment, all sorts of stress, we're doing just where we live, noise, light, all these things, they increase our cortisol levels, which is the primary stress hormone. And the problem with that is that is a massive barrier to sleep. You know, if, if we've got excess cortisol in our system at night this can delay sleep onset it can make it hard for us to go to sleep we can't just switch off and and power down because we're wired and we're awake and we're alert with all that cortisol ready to sort of fight or flight as it were rather than settle down and switch off and go into rest and digest which is the physical state we need to be in we've also become quite disconnected from our sleep-wake cycle and with our all the artificial light we're surrounded by, not just in our homes, but the streetlights outside, office buildings, cars driving by, and all these light signals that our brain's taking in, they go against our natural sleep-wake pattern. That's sort of, you know, our circadian clocks, which lock in to the rising and setting of the sun that causes us to have sort of circadian misalignment it's called which can really sort of you know disrupt our sleep patterns and individually I mean I I mean I was I know that I had no awareness and this is not something that's that's happened with time I think maybe it's maybe it's common maybe it's not but I I had no understanding of sleep I didn't really understand that how my sleep wake pattern worked or what influenced my sleep or why my sleep was the way it was. I wasn't looking at the causes, which reading my uncle's book and researching subsequently, I started looking at the causes, what was happening with my biology, what was my barrier to sleep at night. And, but, you know, the big thing I think is, is too much cortisol for the general population, too much stimulation, and that sort of artificial light and that disconnect of, uh, of the sleep-wake, natural sleep-wake pattern. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I started learning about blue light and and the artificial light, which I'm excited to talk about a little bit later because I have a couple of different products really that have helped me like the blue light glasses and this light that I have but you mentioned something around how our perception of how well we do or don't sleep also affects how we feel the next morning can you go deeper on that yeah it's really interesting that you know, I was talking to a, a couple of doctors who work with clinical hypnosis and and I was saying um you know insomnia is, is classified as a subjective disorder that means our perception of how well we sleep actually impacts our reality, our experience of it. I mean, the fascinating thing, I mean, the key element of my book is all about suggestion and self-hypnosis, as well, which is just the words we use when we're talking to ourselves, also suggestion. And the fact is that our words and thoughts actually impact our feelings, how we feel, they impact our emotions. They also impact the hormones we release as a result of those 
feelings and then they impact our expectations what we expect to then subsequently happen and then our behavior and it's very interesting with insomnia that in insomniacs people who consider themselves insomniacs you know tests you know the tests in the lab have shown that they they often underestimate how much sleep they've actually had or how long it's taken them to get to sleep and then feel worse the next day which which is absolutely fascinating that whole, the fact that our suggestions, what we tell ourselves actually impacts our reality and changes us, changes our physiology. Yes, it's, a, it's an incredibly interesting area of research. I mean, I was, I mean, I'm amazed by my uncle who's so ahead of the game, but now you've got so many doctors and medics increasingly working with this because they realise that actually, you know, our perception and what, you know, the words we use when we're talking to ourselves can change what's going on in our body and our health and our behavior. Yeah, way back in episode 39 of Mind Love, which was years ago, I actually did an episode on how our words, the words that we use, create our reality. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated by, it's a study I read a long time ago, but people that have less vocabulary actually will have less range of nuanced emotions. And so they'll just default to like anger or sadness or something like that rather than like melancholy because they don't have a word for it. And Mm. I thought that was really fascinating. And it's funny that you talk about the perception of how well we do or don't sleep, how it affects the way we feel. Because I did not know this, but I intuitively knew it just a couple of Uh, weeks ago, I have an aura ring. And so it helps track my sleep. And it'll like tell me when my wake ups are. Well, I just had my second baby a little over two months ago. And there was one night that I like went to bed and then I got up and I came down to get my ring. And he's like, Oh, yeah, you need your ring so you can sleep. And I was like, No, there's just something about seeing in the morning like, Oh, you know, I feel like I didn't sleep at all. But I did get a solid six and a half hours, (laughs) according to my ring. So maybe I feel better than I think I do. And it would change the way that I felt. And he was like, that's yeah. crap. And I'm like, no, there, it's, there's something to it. And then you confirmed it in your book. Yes, that's really interesting because it, it reassures you the ring, doesn't it? Yes. And that reassurance, it reassures that, um, you know, the amygdala, our, our emotional HQ, because our, you know, our amygdala, if, if, if we sort of tell ourselves negatives about sleep, or oh my, we lock into that negative thought behavior of, oh, my sleep is dreadful. Oh my, you know, I'm a terrible insomniac. I'll never get to sleep tonight. I'll be up till 3, 4 a.m. You know, our, then our amygdala wraps sleep in all those negative associations. It expects that to happen. And then the anxiety can kick in before it's even happened. But like you say, if you reassure yourself, I mean, I use that actually. If I wake up in the night, which sometimes I get getting woken up, obviously, by really it's light here at 5 a.m., that sometimes wakes me up. Or sometimes, get, you know, you, we get woke up at night, don't we? If I don't know why, maybe there's loud noise outside. But then I, I know what's going on here. And so rather than in the past, I'd have st- I'd have got anxious immediately. Oh, no, that's it. I'm awake. And, and I'd have started ruminating or whatever. Whereas now I reassure myself. I reassure the amygdala. No, no, it's fine. I'll get back to sleep. I've had enough sleep. I'll get plenty of sleep. I'll feel fine tomorrow morning. I'll be well rested. Because I know that that actually does that, 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 you know, I'll get dividends from that, that actually gets results. Another way that our thoughts affect our ability or how we feel about sleep, our ability to sleep, is the fear of not being able to get to sleep can actually make us not sleep. <laughs> yes, no, it, it's very real. I mean, that fear of not being able to sleep, exactly that. 
It's that expectation because unfortunately we get tense, we release cortisol, we get into fight or flight mode, we get anxious and then that makes us alert. It goes completely against the physiological state that we need to be in to drift off and, you know, for our sort of sleep promoting neurons to, to win the battle. So yes, very much that can really become a barrier before you've even got anywhere near your bedroom. So reassuring yourself is very effective. And that's why, you know, sleep scripts, which um, my uncle wrote that really short one, which you probably, well, you will have read about in my book, which is really fascinating. And I started listening to that very early on in my research, because sleep script does, it reassures you, it it tells you what's supposed to be happening in your mind and body in in the lead up to sleep, because I listened to about five o'clock in the evening, roughly five, six o'clock in the evening. So it's, it's shifting your habitual thoughts around sleep, which then impact your behavior, you know, your physiology, your expectations, and then ultimately your behavior, which is, you know, incredibly powerful sort of sleep habit hue, which of course harnesses the power of suggestion, the power of clinical hypnosis, habit science as well, through sort of repetition of um, trying to change those habitual thoughts and also harnessing that mind-body loop of, you know, you, you know, employing your, the, your mind to change what's actually going on in your body, which is, you know, I mean, it's an absolutely extraordinary area. I feel pretty lucky in that pretty early on in my life, I don't know why I didn't really have a problem sleeping, but I ended up learning some pretty basic sleep tips. Things like that most people have heard, like kind of make your bed a sanctuary. Don't do other things in bed because like you talked about, you kind of create these habits when you reach your bed. And so when I'm going to my bed, my mind and body know I'm going to sleep. But there was a time when I was pregnant the first time where I just really clearly felt like I needed to nap and I just couldn't. And so that's really my biggest experiences with not being able to sleep. I'm like, I'm so tired. Why can't I sleep? But I wasn't used to sleeping during the day. So I definitely defaulted to different uh, sleep meditations. And I really loved yoga nidra meditations for sleep. And I would just like pass out immediately. And so those sleep suggestions are really powerful. But one of the things that I loved that drew me to reach out to you to do this interview was how you combine not just those normal sleep tips that we've heard, but also about the power of the mind, like suggestions and and things like that, and and how you've coupled them with the science on how to actually get to sleep. And one of those things that I hadn't heard, despite the fact that I have interviewed several people on the science of sleep over the years, you talk about slowing our brain waves down so that we can nudge ourselves to sleep. Can you go deeper on that? Yes, I love that. I use that. I use that quite a lot, actually, because it's using suggestion, but biology-based suggestion, because suggestion or hypnosis or self-hypnosis, whatever you want to call it, what's been found, which is what my great uncle was talking about and what clinical hypnotists are working with today, is if you combine biology and understanding even really basic biology, we don't need to, we're not doing exam level biology here, but just really basic sleep biology with suggestion, we can actually sort of direct our body and, you know, visualize it. So, you know, if I'm sort of in bed and my mind is a little bit, still a little bit too alert, or I wake in the night and I want to go back to sleep, then I will visualize 
my brain waves going sort of you know from beta to alpha to theta and delta you know because I can visualize them going very short and intense and sort of spiky getting more and more relaxed and space out I'll visualize that then simultaneously if we do some controlled deep breathing then we are increasing our slow brain waves you know we're activating that parasympathetic nervous system we're relaxing our core being you know our central nervous system we're, we're we're putting ourselves into a state of rest and digest and we are through that deep breathing breathing increasing our slow brain waves and then of course if you visualize it you're making it that much more powerful you're giving yourself a very very powerful visual and verbal or sort of in your mind biological biology-based suggestion incredibly effective you also talk about the flip-flop switch and i had not heard about that before what is that and how does it work well, the flip-flops, which is great, is I used to, I sort of haven't been thinking about that so much recently, but when I was initially work, sorting out my sleep, now it's pretty, you know, it's it's pretty good most of the time. Um, but when I was actually sorting out my sleep, that was very, I found that very useful because flip-flop switches, you know, one minute we're awake and the next minute we're asleep, much like an electrical circuit. There's a switch and it, and it's suddenly you're gone, you're asleep. And it's, I also visualize it as, as scales. So if you're piling up sort of as many sort of sleep promoting neurons or sleep promoting um, behaviors or thoughts as possible, then eventually you tip it and that's, that switch is activated and you're gone. And that's very reassuring to know, that, okay, I'm deep breathing. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've listened to my script or I've had a good routine and I've, I've done some stress busters some sort of to bring my cortisol levels down during the day. Because you know, the key thing is, it's not just about sorting out your sleep at the end of the day. Everything about our day impacts our sleep at night. So we can be doing things during our day so that we're in the right state to then go sleep at night. And for that flip-flop switch to switch off fairly quickly. I have been employing some of the light techniques too. And in a bunch of different ways. So I have, we've talked about how we're sort of aroused by blue light. Now it tells our body that it's daytime and we're all looking at screens and we have like LED lights in our house, which apparently LED lights have way more downsides than just keeping us awake. Apparently they also age your skin. I, I just realized mm. this. And so I'm trying to like swap everything out. But next to my computer, I actually have this lamp called Sunlight Indoors. And it's so cool because it when you buy it, you have to put in the zip code as to where you live and they pre-program it for you. And then the light color will change based on the time of the day. And so when I start working really early, it'll be like this kind of orange glow. It's midday right now. And so it's just like bright white. And then it starts to go down with the sun. And so that's kind of one step. But another thing I've I've learned is that going outside at specific times is actually critical to kind of get that sunlight in your eyes to tell your body what what time it is and to regulate your circadian rhythm. Yes, I mean, it's absolutely, getting outside is really, really crucial. I mean, that is a top tip you'll often hear, get outside in the morning. But, it, but it's, again, knowing the biology behind it, you know, it makes sense then. And then it makes it more 
well, not more impactful, but at least you're aware of it. It's it's the fact that we are, we need to sink in with the light outside every day because our body clocks run slightly longer than 24 hours. So we actually need like a, a biological reset every day. And we can get that from the sun, go outside, look at the sky, reset your body clocks. And ideally in the morning um, for that bright light, give you serotonin boost as well. But we've got photoreceptors in our eyes that are very, very sensitive to light. And they read the light signals around us, be that, you know, like you say, an LED light or, you know, a bright sky, blue sky, and then sends messages to the brain about what the brain needs to do. Does it need to sort of, you know, wake you up, get alert, get that brain sort of firing, get that cognitive function going for the day? Or does it need to be sort of releasing sort of shut down chemicals and sort of melatonin, the hormone of sleep? Light signals and having a good light structure is crucial for our circadian rhythms and for sending the right signals for our brain to then action. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that really started to kick in this year is realizing like, okay, yeah, I'm going outside in the morning and when the sun starts to go down, so I'm regulating my circadian rhythm, but I'm wearing sunglasses. And so that kind of just kills it because my eyes aren't able to actually soak in the natural light outside. So I've been making sure that my, at least my morning walks and my evening walks, I don't have sunglasses on. And it's funny because when I first started doing this, 
I was like in pain walking outside thinking, how do people do this? Oh my gosh, it's so bright out here. And then just doing it a couple of times or even just being out there for a few minutes, my eyes tend to adjust and then it's it's not as painful to not have sunglasses on outside anymore. Yeah, it's exactly. It's really important to take the sunglasses off, not to look at the sun, obviously, because that would damage your eyes, but really important to get those natural rays in. I mean, I sort of you know, it's so easy, isn't it? Especially when you work, I mean, I often work at home and and then you just go straight to your desk and you start working. Then I think, oh my goodness, no, I've got to get outside. But I try and do as soon as the weather's nice or even it's not even, too, you know, I'll wrap up and go in the garden and have my cup of tea, first cup of tea of the day or breakfast in the garden without sunglasses on to get those light signals. And then also interestingly, when you're going, just I'm just very aware when you go out to the shops, so you're just popping out to do different errands and in the past you know if you look around most people are looking down at their phones aren't they these days and and it's that thing if you just just need to lift your head a little bit to actually get you know it's amazing the difference it makes actually if you look down at your phone or angle up to the sky so I've become very aware of that when I go out now and sort of try and catch myself well, I often catch myself and think hang on a minute I need to get my light look up not down or <laughs> so um very effective though. So most people by now have heard of blue light glasses. Either that or I'm in a bubble and I just assume most people have heard of them <laughs> because I have like five pairs. But yes, I, yeah. uh, I know that you recommend having 90 minutes before sleep free from like in your face phone use or computer use. But and maybe I'm looking for an excuse here because I don't always do it, but I do make sure I have my blue light glasses on. If you have blue light glasses on, I know it's still a negative sleep habit, but what are your thoughts on on looking at your phone in bed if you have blue light glasses on? Well, obviously that will help with the melatonin. You're not suppressing your melatonin levels. So because otherwise you're telling your brain to you know, not release the melatonin or to, or to suppress them. And you need them to to feel tired, you know, to switch off and go to sleep. And also, you know, other chemicals that, that are stimulated at night. So they protect you from that, which is good. It depends what you're looking at, I guess, because is the content can be a problem sometimes. If you're looking at the news, for example, or or you're checking emails and suddenly you get one you don't like, it's or, or, or something that engages your brain, then that can be a problem. So you know, if you're just reading a book that's a relaxing book, then you've got your blue light blocking glasses on, then that's going to be have limited impact. But but it's just being mindful of the content of what you're looking at. I mean, everyone's different. I mean, sleep, you know, we're all individual. Our sleep patterns are different. Some people can just go to sleep just like that, even if they've been on a screen. Well, not with a bright light necessarily, but so it's seeing if it disrupts your sleep. It's all about finding out what is possibly disrupting your sleep or impacting the quality of your sleep, the depth of your sleep. But yeah, so I would say just be mindful of content. And if you can have a break, then that's great. I mean, I now simply don't look at news after a certain point in the evening because, you know, it's out of my control. It's a stressor that I can't control, but I can control when I digest it, I can control how I deal with it, I guess. So the way I deal with it is, is simply not to consume it too close to bed because I don't want it to set me ruminating, negative rumination, or to spike my cortisol, make me feel anxious about 
you know, events that I, I simply can't do anything about, not just before bed as well. And I can see how for people who have trouble sleeping and they're really working on creating new sleep habits, especially if you're doing it in bed, you don't want to tell yourself, well, I'm in bed now. Now's the time to go look at my phone. Well, <laughs> Versus, yes, <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> and so being mindful around, yeah, the habits, like what what is this going to trigger your brain to do in the future because you're doing this so often? I mentioned for myself, luckily, I don't have problems sleeping, but on some level, I have prioritized it. I almost use the word always, but I will say in my 20s, I did not. <laughs> yes, so. well, I don't think many people do. Yeah, I was more worried about how long I could stay up the entire time. But another uh, good tip that you mention is staring into a pitch dark bedroom at night. How does that help? Well, that's really good. Again, it's that sort of coming down to sort of just knowing the basic biology and then you can use it when you need to just staring into that pitch dark room that's like looking at a, a really dark night sky which unfortunately very few of us have these days even in the countryside but obviously certainly not in, in city life because then you're you're replicating you know ideal pitch black sky and your brain is reading that and then and then releasing melatonin as a result so it'll increase your melatonin and GABA levels which is you also need to to power down at night so you know you're shifting your physiology and increasing those sleep inducing hormones to tip those scales to activate the flip-flop switch so it's, it's another tactic that you can use in the moment which which is a you know is another is a useful one i have been able to use a lot of these tips with my second baby. And it's interesting because I might be putting too much weight on different things because <laughs> I know that kids are very different, but my first kid was not a very good sleeper. My second one, he's two and a half months old and he's already sleeping through the night for the most part. Like his first wow. wake up's like five or 6 a.m. And then usually he'll just feed for 15 minutes and go back to sleep until like eight. It's oh <laughs> so wonderful. Goodness. That's amazing. But... There, I'm doing a few of these things that we're talking about because it affects him too. And so I have a nightly routine of a bath. I don't think he needs a bath, but I like to put him in a bath. I also put some magnesium flakes into the tub. And mm -hmm. when he's in the bath, I'm, I have the lights down low. Sometimes I'll just light a candle. I'll play like meditative music. And so the whole like hour and a half before his bedtime is his sleep routine, whether he knows it or not. And so, and then I keep the lights dim when I do his final feed and then he slowly gets carried up into the room. And there have been a few times where just life has gotten in the way and I haven't been able to do that. And it, it definitely changes it. I do know he's a good sleeper <laughs> naturally, but he was that's not really sleeping through the night beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what, no, that is really, really good. I used to do that with, um, with my children, actually, sort of, and that was before I was researching sleep, but but it's, it is that thing of setting up that routine because then it's sending a very clear message to the brain, isn't it? It's sort of, it's sort of saying, oh, uh, oh, this is what happens now. I have my bath, I do this, and then I go to sleep. But then also you're obviously setting up that circadian rhythm with the light, dark signals. So the brain is already, you know, and then the body, the whole system starts sort of establishing that circadian rhythm, which can get stronger and stronger. So yeah, fantastic. Really good. 
So we've mentioned how basically stress affects our sleep because it spikes our cortisol. So mm-hmm. things like reading the news right before bed, watching a horror movie right before bed might yeah. not be the best thing to do. <laughs> but some people are just, I don't know if naturally stressed is the right word, but other areas of their life have created a buildup of stress. And so it's not necessarily their sleep routine that's doing it, but they are carrying it in their bodies already. How Mm. do you recommend that people maybe get in tune with the way they feel and start to mitigate some of those stressful emotions or feelings or hormones that they have in their bodies? Yes, I mean, it's, it, it is difficult. I think a lot of people obviously are carrying a lot of stress. Um, and it's finding sort of, I call them stress busters, but it's finding ones that really work for you or that work for that situation. I mean, you can use sort of, you know, you can be quite proactive in a way. If you can sort of recognize certain situations make you feel tense, you know, what can you do about, what solution can you find? Can you walk away from that situation? Does deep breathing help? Does sort of just getting outside into nature help? Or or do you need to be sort of more proactive about shifting that hormonal balance? You know, can you increase any of those happy hormones? Or or I've got obviously a chapter on, on emotions and can you reframe you know your emotions as in reread your feelings choose a different as you mentioned earlier more nuanced emotion that can really help with reducing our cortisol levels you know there are so many tactics you can do so it is a matter of finding what works for you during the day so that hopefully there isn't too much you know because we're we're being bombarded all the time one way or another with stressors noise uh, is actually causes hypertension for example so you might want to protect yourself from noise that's interrupting you or not I'm not talking just at night because obviously we can be disturbed at night and that can disturb our sleep but during the day if we're having to filter a lot of noise when we're trying to focus that can increase our hypertension and with it our cortisol levels so what practical measures what can you do for that so it's really you know maybe make a note of those triggers during the day and then what stress busters or tactics do work for you? You know, is it just having a chat with a with a friend? Does that help bring down those, those levels? But trying to keep, like I say, on top of it during the day so that it's not overloading you at night. Is it true that reading a book can actually cut stress by up to 68%? That's incredible, that study, isn't it? I know. I mean, and that just sort of makes you sort of live longer and, and generally healthier. I sort of, I think it can transport you to another place. So it's taking you out of where you are, obviously, I think the study found, and it just brings your cortisol levels right down. I mean, probably not, as you mentioned earlier, if it's a total nail bite, a horror, a horror, but a non-horror book. Yeah, that's what the study found, which is quite, you know, incredibly valuable. So yes, carving out a little bit of time to read a book that's very effective for bringing down those cortisol levels. And you also mentioned how those stress balls are actually effective that <laughs> you squeeze. Oh, squeeze balls, yes, they are good. You know, they do release stress, you know, and um, yes, and they make you feel, they can give you a surge of confidence as well, so feeling being more in control. So very effective tactic for releasing some of that tension. You know, just, yeah, I mean, there are so many, anything that releases your tension is good. 
I just assumed the stress balls were something that like existed in the 90s. I haven't really seen one since. <laughs> and now I'm inspired to get one. <laughs> They're quite satisfying, actually, especially if you do use a keyboard a lot. Quite good for the um, hands and, and fingers. They're good, yeah. So another topic that we need to talk about is food and when to eat, because I have read really mixed <laughs> signals on this, mixed pieces of advice on what whether eating at night is helpful or not. There was this book that I read called How to Heal Your Metabolism, and it kind of threw a lot of things I thought I knew on on its head. A lot of things were really helpful, but the one thing that I got caught up on was she said, it's actually good to eat right before bed. And I was thinking, is it good? And when I eat certain things right before bed, my aura ring will actually notify me and say, your metabolism was in overdrive. Did you eat late night? Did you have a <laughs> glass of wine? <laughs> and so what do we need to know about what and when to eat? Well, I mean, with sleep, the general sort of rule of thumb is to try and eat regularly, you know, as regular as possible, uh, because that sort of keeps our circadian rhythms. It's sort of light and food keep us circadian rhythms sort of on track. It's that sort of routine that our body likes. So the general thumb is to have your main meal maybe three hours before you go to bed so that you have digested it. Having said that, it's quite a good idea often to have a snack. I mean, I wouldn't recommend having one just before bed, but maybe, you know, half an hour, 30 minutes before bed. But it depends because otherwise you don't want to be hungry in the night. That might wake you up. And if you're hungry, then you won't be able to go to sleep. So that's not going to be helpful so if you are feeling a bit hungry a bit peckish a sort of half an hour before bed then having a slow release low sugar snack like oats are really good because they're high in tryptophan which is really good for sleep then that would be a good snack to have but yeah generally I would say for sleep you wouldn't want something just before you don't want any you don't want any sugar spikes going on too close to bed that makes sense. And I've been trying to fit in <laughs> somewhere in my day. I've been making overnight oats and then like the day goes by and I'm like, I don't, I don't eat this for lunch. I don't eat it for breakfast. I have my set things already. So that'll be my, my 30 minutes before bed snack. But the other thing that you mention, and it comes back to the power of our minds, is that even just what we believe about the foods that we are putting into our mouths can affect how we process them. Like if it's going to keep us up or, or make us sleep yes it's yeah yeah very interesting research on sort of also like mindful eating as it were so that if you eat that's that there's sort of um the study with the two milkshakes that if they would both have the same amount of calories but one was sold as a as a low calorie milkshake and one was sold as a high calorie and but actually thinking oh my goodness this is a real treat this is this is really indulgent this is amazing speeds up your metabolism which is very interesting. Again, so suggestion comes in there. How we eat impacts how our body responds to the food. Likewise, if we think that we're sort of eating a sort of, you know, very, oh, I've only had a bowl of lettuce for lunch for me sort of thing, your body will sort of go into a sort of slight sort of concern of, oh, I need to stop power food. I need more food. I need to not burn any calories. I need to save Every, everything, all the reserves that I've got. So then metabolism will slow down. So it's interesting to know, again, that mind-body loop when it comes to food. And of course, you can relate that to um, how the best way to eat around sleep as well. 
I can totally attest to that study because I have a story very similar. When I was in college, I was a big party girl in college and my normal like hungover routine would be to go to Jamba Juice and I would get the extra large, it was called a chocolate mood. It was basically their version of like a chocolate smoothie. But for some reason in my mind, I knew nothing about nutrition at this stage in my life. And so I was like, well, it's Jamba Juice. Everything here is super healthy. And so I had one of these almost every day for like a year. And then I was standing there waiting for my chocolate mood to come to be finished making. And I'm looking through, they have this booklet of all of the nutrition information. And I go to the chocolate mood and it has like a thousand calories or something like that, like 70 grams of fat. And I was just appalled. I couldn't even drink that milkshake. But then I I was addicted to it or I was part of my habit. And so I just, I kept going and I was like, well, whatever. Like I've been having these all the time. Immediately started to gain weight. Like immediately. And so, and it's funny because I was reminded about this recently because I now, like nutrition is one of my passions. And so I'm always looking at ways to be healthy. But I I started to realize earlier this year that it was kind of going into the territory of almost orthorexia where I'm like, okay, not everything is trying to kill me. I've got to also give myself this affirmation. And so now when I eat, no matter what I eat, I've been trying to make the habit of uh, bringing certain mindful practices back in. But beyond that, actually like blessing the food in a way where I'm like blessing it to my body thinking, this is going to nourish me. It's going to optimize my cells, give me energy. And I swear I felt so great since I've started doing this. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, that goes, that's using the power of suggestions and telling your body what it's going to be using those nutrients for to sort of reinforce that so that it actually absorbs all the nutrients, I guess. Another fascinating thing you bring up in your book is about where women live affects their sleep. Oh, well, that's, um, yes, well, that comes down to, you mean with the menopause, the chapter on... Yes, and the night sweats. And I guess it caught my attention because I had the worst night sweats right after I gave birth. (laughs) So I was like waking up four times a night just to change my pajamas. And maybe it doesn't apply to me as much in that level of hormonal inflection, but (laughs) I was like having that same hormonal roller coaster. Yeah. Probably estrogen down and and, uh, then everything goes crazy. You know, that was that was interesting. That sort of general study or big study showing that in societies where sort of age is is sort of seen as a negative and youth is 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 prized way higher that women apparently suffer worse menopausal symptoms so then obviously if you're having night night sweats that totally destroys your sleep and then the problem is even when those symptoms stop we can have locked into that behavior so that's the problem. Even when you can be ill or jet lagged, and then you're left with the the sleep behavior that's that's taken taken root, as it were. So then, it's how do you turn that around? So we've talked about so many amazing tips for sleep, and when we give so many actionable things, a lot of times it can feel overwhelming. But mm. what I love about 
basically sleep routines that all of these are really being stacked at once. And like you talked about where with that flip-flop switch, it's like once you, you're you actually being intentional about sleep, you start to trust yourself and build evidence that like, okay, well, you know, I should be moving that switch over to the sleep side. So I think I'm good. And then it changes the words that you tell yourself what you believe about your own sleep. And so it's easier than it seems. And so I'd love for you to sort of walk us through your sleep routine or your evening routine that that induces sleep, just so somebody can can hear how all of these things go together. Well, it's interesting you say that because, yes, it does initially seem, I think, for some people, it might seem overwhelming. It's like, what? I have to think about the biology or the food or the, the light. But it becomes very, very it is very easy and very instinctive after a while. And like you say, you just sort of automatically become aware of these things and start stacking them up. But my sleep routine, I would say, my, my big thing, and I, big thing, I guess, is that your sleep routine actually starts the moment you get up. So it's not an evening routine. It's when you get up in the morning. What light signals are you giving yourself, you know, and then moving through the day, sort of keeping cortisol under control, the foods that are going to give you, you know, help you go to sleep at night and um, just sort of being mindful during the day. Of an evening, I'll sort of, um, you know, I make sure that I turn my computer off sort of, you know, later, sort of 9, 9.30, obviously a bit later tonight because I'm talking to you and I'm in London. But um, so I will turn my computer off good sort of hour and a half or or more before I go to bed and that's also just because I'm I'm shutting away that idea of my mind being alert and over engaged if I'm after that if I want to I might read a book or I might just chat you know obviously be out and about doing things or with the family but so I, I shut that down just to make sure there's very clear demarcation during the evening I'll turn the lights down throughout the house just to sort of simulate that, you know, dusk. Just try and give my brain that. So I don't listen to the sleep script anymore. I used to listen to the sleep script about six o'clock, which then set me up for the evening. But I don't need to now because my sleep is, is really good. So, but other than that, it's sort of, you know, sort of making a clear sort of gap between your day and your evening so that you can relax. You know, sometimes I might just sit in my armchair and read a book just with a uh, a light, a night light, you know, a hard copy book because I've been on screen all day. So then I'll switch to an actual old fashioned paperback book or um, to sort of relax and wind down before going to sleep. And my lights in my room, very, very dim, blackout blinds, just to sort of make that message loud and clear to my brain. But well, I I obviously also with my children, I'm sort of always very on it with them. Like you say, with the, with the glasses, I was sort of on to them about, are you wearing your orange, you know, your blue light blocking glasses? Because <laughs> they've, they've all got, they've all got um, those as well, but constantly reminding them to put those on quite early <laughs> on in the evening. Yeah. I know. I need to figure out how to get my toddler to wear them. Yeah. Not working yet. Try teenagers. They're, they're not very keen at all. <laughs> Oh, that makes sense. Oh, man, I think everything is going to be harder at age two, but it's probably harder at like 15. <laughs> and they just, yeah, they're a bit more sort of more inclined to say no because they don't like the look of them. But um, 
I know. I keep trying to figure out (laughs) one of the sleep things I do that's weird is I tape my mouth shut at night and I I keep looking at my toddler sleeping with his mouth open. I'm like, what's the age that I can tape your mouth without (laughs) it being child abuse? (laughs) Well, that I would say, ask your doctor. (laughs) I know. Well, I love leaving listeners with just one action item to kind of ground this material into their lives. If you were to have them focus on one major tip that we talked about today, or even one that we didn't talk about today, what would you have them focus on to start getting better results with their own sleep? Well, I think it would be to just to go out in the morning. I know this is you know, a big one you hear, but go out and be mindful of the biology there. Take your sunglasses off, look at the sky, not directly at the sun, and just be mindful that there are these little cells up there that are sending a signal to your brain that to, to reset your body clock and set you up for the day ahead. Because it really is about, you know, everything in your day sets you up for the sleep at night. And I would add to that, if you know, if you can go up, at roughly the same time each morning. That's sort of a sleep hygiene tip, but going hand in hand with the light. Well, thank you so much for all of the research that you've put into this topic. It was just such a well-rounded book about the mind, body, and spirit, how they all kind of play together to create a restful night's sleep. And so for listeners that are interested in learning more and finding your book, where's the best place that they can connect and find it? It's called Teach Yourself to Sleep, and it is, is, is available. I mean, you can get it from Amazon, and so you can get it from, you can order it from most major bookshops. I mean, I'm talking from the UK, but it is available in America as well. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 303. Your challenge for this month is to get real about your thoughts around sleep. That's all I'm going to have you do right now. Start to notice. What do you believe about your sleep patterns? Do you believe you don't usually get a good night's rest? Do you believe that you have trouble falling asleep? Do you believe that you're tired all the time? Just take inventory of this because you need to know where you're starting in order to improve and what you measure gets managed. Also, if sleep is an area that you feel like you need to bring more intention to, I have the perfect masterclass for you in our membership community. You can find out more at mindlove.com membership. This is the all-encompassing sacred sleep course that will help to revamp your mindset around sleep, help you create a sleep sanctuary, a powerful nighttime routine. There's a binaural sleep track that I've created that's focused around the ideas of yoga nidra, which if you haven't tried that before, it is really powerful. Some of my favorite naps of my life came about through yoga nidra. And I think you're gonna love this track. I've sent it to a few friends to have them test it out for me and they said that it was powerful. So find out more about the sacred sleep at mindlove.com slash membership, and you'll get access to a dozen other masterclasses that'll help you bring more intention to your life. That's at mindlove.com slash membership. If you love this episode, please consider sharing it. You know those friends in your life that have a hard time sleeping. (laughs) They probably need this. And you can find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.